This is Memoirs of a Recovering Nice Guy, Episode 2, The Making of a Nice Guy. This is a scripted podcast following my journey through No More Mr. Nice Guy by Dr. Robert Glover. Hello, my name is Drew Swenson, and I am a recovering nice guy. I recently started my journey of recovery from Nice Guy Syndrome, and each week on the show, I hope to cover each chapter of No More Mr. Nice Guy and reflect on the information present therein. If you or someone you know might be a nice guy, I hope my own insights can help you along on your own journey. Chapter 2, The Making of a Nice Guy, Part 1. Chapter 2 begins by looking at the origins that create nice guys, and the commonality between cases. In each of the cases presented, and looking into my own history, it seems that many of the reasons stem from childhood and the various forms of abandonment issues. When looking at abandonment issues, it doesn't solely deal with the child being left alone, per se, but instead, a loss of a child's sense of safety. This can happen for a number of reasons, whether it was mental, physical, or emotional abuse, accidental or even intentional neglect, etc. Any of these sorts of issues that make a child feel like they're not okay to be themselves, creates a sense of toxic shame. Toxic shame is the internal feeling of being bad for being oneself. It generates deep negative feelings that one doesn't deserve positivity or nice things in their life if they act as their true self. This leads to the creation of the nice guy that doesn't want to show their true self or be their true self for the fear of being abandoned or rejected. Reflecting on my own childhood, I can certainly attest to some of these things occurring. My parents were never abusive in the sense that I was ever truly in physical danger or anything, but my father was less than optimal when it came to his child-rearing tactics. In many cases, if something went wrong, whether in injury or the loss of a lens from a pair of glasses. It wasn't treated as something that just happens in life. Instead, these events were treated as direct and incontrovertible attacks at my father and on his wallet. I know both of my parents would refute these claims, but again, I was a child, and yes, I was naive. But the point is that I was impressionable. There's so many things that become internalized for a child that may not make sense to a logical thinking adult. But children are anything but. They're egocentric, and any perceived danger or threat is seen directed at them. On at least one occasion, both my brother and I referred to as dumbasses, and some other events occurred were blamed on us. 
I distinctly remember being blamed for clogging a toilet in our new, at the time, house. I was yelled at. And when we found out the cause, it was a toy that neither my brother or I had ever seen or owned before. The level of disdain that I heard in his voice made me feel like dirt. Even the fighting between my parents certainly had an impact, too. Whenever they fought, my brother and I felt like we had to go above and beyond to clean our rooms, which, compared to most of my peers, were already seen as nigh immaculate in an effort to try and cover our asses so they wouldn't yell at us. Many times I'd hide in my room and I'd plug my ears to try to escape hearing their voices. And if I'm being honest, I think I was afraid. I was so high-strung trying to keep my father from being mad at me that I broke down at school when I got an F on a math test. In the fifth grade, I was inconsolable. The next, most extreme event would have been in sixth grade, wherein my ex and I were a bit at odds, and I wrote a letter that said, I hate you. I was at a private school at the time, and they took bullying very seriously, and as such, I was given a detention. Today, working in a school, I see many students receive multiple detentions. This was my first and only one. Rather than just accept it, as many people do, I saw this as me betraying my parents. I saw myself as an abject failure. This was the first time that I ever contemplated suicide. I think that would be some sort of a red flag to anyone that a kid is suffering from serious anxiety enough to think about killing themselves over a singular detention. Of course, my mother said that they would never be so mad that I should ever do something like that, and that they loved me. But again, I internalized my experiences growing up, and I consistently saw two people who were supposed to be in love yelling at each other. Time and time again, I couldn't believe that they were being truthful. And the same thing was true of them saying the same things to me. One minute, it was all love. And then the next, it was tearing down my character. These sorts of events continued for the better part of my life, even extending to a faulty wired microwave. I was the only one who had any issues for over a month. I would come home from work and mid-cycle, the microwave would trip a circuit. I'd have to reset it time and time again. Sometimes only once, and others many in a row. Each time being accused of doing something wrong and being yelled at for disturbing television time. So just imagine instances of things, some small hundreds of instances, for about 27 years or so. Well, I think that seems pretty evident that it would create a, quote-unquote, nice guy. Whew, okay. That got way deeper into my past and my psyche than I would normally be comfortable with. But nonetheless, I felt it was relevant. This book is acting like a mirror and reflecting some of the key moments of my life in a new light. And that light certainly going to shine in some dark places. 
but I guess no one's life is all rosy. So it actually seems that I've kind of already gone and done part of uh, the third Breaking Free activity. It says to list all of the messages that I'd received in my family that would lead someone to hide and not feel free to be just who you were. I didn't really go into what feelings I would feel at those times, so I'll break them down. Angry, sad, frustrated, confused, undesirable, hated, and most of all, afraid. I felt one or more of these things at any of the given moments that I mentioned earlier, and many more that I didn't share. Ultimately, I realized that I shouldn't have had to feel those things, but I can see how they led to many of the thought processes and the actions that I've taken over the years. The saddest thing is that I started to recognize some of these issues. But by the time, well, it was already too late for my former relationship, it feels like I've got a drill pressing into my stomach to think that there could have been a better way to fix those issues in time. I think this is where I'm going to call it for the episode today. Got pretty deep. (laughs) And we're only halfway through chapter two. If you, or someone you know, is in crisis, call the National Suicide Prevention Hotline at 1-800-273-TALK. That's 1-800-273-8255. Or text the Crisis Text Line. Text hello to 741-741. Both services are free and available 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. All calls are confidential. I'll see you next week. Thanks for listening.